All right. Man, what a great day. Woo, it's been good already. Man, we had uh, people put their faith in Christ in the first service. And uh, how many guys needed to hear that last song, He's in the Waiting? Boy, I did, man. I mean, just what a great song, man, just to, uh, to remind us that He's there, that He's with us. He's walking through, no matter what you're going through today, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter how it may seem like, you know, life is against you right now, man, He's there and He's waiting on you. He wants a relationship with you, so I love that. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us, and uh, we're so glad you're a part of the service in that way. I was just talking with a gentleman first service, said they've been watching online for uh, quite a few months, and he's been coming for the last three or four weeks and uh, loves being here, and I'm like, that's awesome, so... If that's a way to connect with people, man, we love it. So uh, glad you guys are here. Today we're kicking off a new series, and uh, it's called Meals with Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but, man, uh, I-, I like food. And uh, Laurie and I are what we'd call foodies, I guess, because uh, we're always looking at cool recipes. And we even kind of plan our trips around where you can eat. Any of y'all do that? Anybody else do that? Yeah, you know, like she likes to watch uh, dinners, dive, dive, drive-ins and dives or whatever. And you know, same thing, I hear you, man. So uh, what we do is we... We'll go to our town and say, is there one of those in here that's, you know, made from scratch, it's really good or whatever. And so we sometimes will plan our meals around that because we love to love good food. And so anyway, you know, with this, we're talking about meals with Jesus. So not only do you have good company, but we're talking about food, you know. And so it's one of those things that we can kind of mix them all together. And, and I want you guys to understand as we move through this, you know, one of the things I feel like God has really been reminding me of or teaching me over the last few months of my life is about the humanity of Christ, the humanity of Jesus, you know, because I think sometimes we we think of Jesus as kind of this ideal and, you know, he's the savior, the Messiah. But we forget that, man, he was human, that he was God among us, that he was clothed in humanity. You know, and so I want you to hopefully as we move through these meals with Jesus, you'll begin to see him as a human that is God in flesh. And so he understands everything that you're dealing with, everything that you may be struggling with today. Jesus understands those feelings and what you may be struggling with. He understands pain. He went to the cross for you and for me. He went through the beatings and the scourgings for you and for me, for our sin. He didn't deserve it. And so whenever we go through things, sometimes I think we often kind of think of Jesus as kind of being distant. And we don't think he understands what we're going through, but he does. And so hopefully as we unpack some of this and as we move through these different meals that we see with Jesus, that we'll see the humanity of Jesus, that God loved us so much that he left heaven, wrapped himself in humanity to show us the way, to show us the gospel. And so the first one we're going to start with is the wedding feast. It's uh, the wedding feast at Cana. But I want to uh, go, go to another passage that uh, kind of points to the guy that we've been talking about in our last series. And this is out of Luke. And it's talking about John the Baptist. It says, for John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine and you say he's possessed by a demon. So this, what this is, is Jesus is talking to some of the religious leaders. And he's, he's, he's addressing the fact that they are, that they're, they're not for what Jesus is saying. They're not for the truth. And it didn't matter if it came through John the Baptist, who we just got through doing a series where John says, Hey, Jesus must be increased and I must decrease. He must become more and more and I must fade away, to be honest with you. He came to prepare the way for Jesus to, you know, to let everybody know the Messiah is coming. So that was John's job. But he said, you know what? I must decrease and Jesus must increase. And so the whole mentality is for us to do everything we can to make much of Jesus. And uh, Pastor Brandon did an incredible job last week of wrapping up the last part of that series as he talked about, do we really believe that? Do we really believe you know, that God must become more and more, Jesus must become more and more famous in our life, and we need to die away. We need to literally die to self. And so as we look back at this passage here, it says John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine. 
And you say he's possessed by a demon. But look what, and this is Jesus talking. Look what he says here. He's talking about himself here. He says, the son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. And so what Jesus is pretty much saying to them, listen, it doesn't matter what package it comes in. You don't want to hear the truth. You don't want to hear God's word. You don't want to hear the way. And so, you know, Jesus was dealing with these religious leaders that were rejecting the truth, the, the teaching of God. And, and so he's calling them out. He's addressing that. And so he says it doesn't matter what package it comes in, whether it's John the Baptist, you know, who, like I said, who ate locusts and honey, who lived out. He wasn't there where everybody was at. He was kind of out in the wilderness and kind of a wild man, if you will. Like I said, it was kind of a cool character to me as a kid. But Jesus is up in the middle of everything. You know, he's fixing to be at a, at a wedding feast. And so he's among the people. And so it doesn't matter what it was. They said, hey, you know, he was saying, you just don't want to hear the truth. So let's look at the, the wedding feast here. So this is the wedding at Canaan. I'll, I'll read through the passage and we'll come back and kind of unpack it a little bit. It says, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. That's a big deal. The wine supply ran out during the festivity, so Jesus' mother told him they have no, no more wine. That's a big deal, too, and we'll see as we unpack that. That was a, a major issue. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing, and each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. He's got to make a big deal out of this. He's got like, hey, man, gather around. A host always serves the best wine first. He said, then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Canaan in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And so this is the first miracle that we see. And, and it's really a big deal. And there's a lot that we need to unpack here. And so we're going to kind of break down a, a couple of the passages here. But here's one. It says Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. And let me just say this, you know, the fact that, you know, there's a there's a party going on. There's a celebration. It's always a good thing when we invite Jesus into whatever we have going on. Whether it be your marriage, man, you invite Jesus into the middle of that marriage. Whether it be your family and you're going through struggles or challenges, man, invite Jesus into the middle of that, that, that family. In, in, invite, you know, we talk about this. There's, there's times that we, we, I heard Wes praying just a few minutes ago. We invite the Holy Spirit to move in this place. We want Jesus to be welcome here every Sunday. We want the power and the presence of God to fall on this place to where people are moved by the presence of God. And so we invite Him to come and, and to literally take over these services. You know, and I've said this many times, I pray that the presence of God is so real in our services and that people just driving by feel drawn here because they feel and sense the presence of God. And so we pray for that. We invite God. We say, well, Jesus, we want you to literally take over. We want this to be about you, not about us or not about anything that we do. We want it to be about you and the gospel. So this past couple of weeks, uh, I've been uh, or last week, I met with a guy who has a ministry that meets here at our church. And he, he came up to me and he said, listen, Pastor Mike, I wanted to thank you for two things. He said, number one, I wanted to thank you for the coffee service that you guys allow us to be, you know, to use on, on, uh, in, our, in our time. And he said, uh, that really means a lot to our, our guys. 
And uh, he says, go, you know, new people coming in. I said, what they're doing is they're hiding behind a coffee cup. Y'all probably do this too. They'll get a cup of coffee and they stand around looking at everybody. Y'all ever do that? Pastor Daniel was doing it a while ago. I was watching him hide behind his coffee cup. And so what we do is we, and he said, man, that really means a lot. And he goes, you're exactly right. He said, they get that coffee cup and they're looking around like, man, these people are weird. You know, that, and, uh, and so he said, the second thing is, he said, when we walk in to the building, he said, man, we feel the presence of God here. He said, we know that you guys have been praying for God's presence to be real in this place. And, you know, and we know this is just a building. We know this is just sheetrock and stuff. We know that. But, man, we want it to be a house of the Lord. We want the power and the presence of God to be so real that when people walk in here, they feel, they feel conviction when they walk through the door. They feel the presence of God saying, hey, listen, man, I love you and I want a relationship with you. Hey, and I want to heal you and I want to change you today. And so we pray for that. And so here we see that, you know, this couple has invited Jesus to their wedding. They invite them, you know, they invite Jesus to come and be a part of the celebration. I did a wedding yesterday for a young couple. And, and as I was talking to them, I said, hey, listen, you know, we went through everything and we did the vows and all that stuff. I, said, hey, I took a moment with, just with them. And I said, hey, listen, I just want to tell you, I said, and, and the young man, the groom had just prayed to receive Christ a couple of months ago, actually while we were doing marriage, pre-marriage counseling. And I told him, I said, listen, that is the key to a great marriage is both of you having a personal relationship with Christ and pursuing and seeking after Jesus every day and seeking to die to self and to serve one another. I said, that is the foundation for a good marriage. And so it was really cool to be able to be a part of that. So here we see where Jesus was invited. And so Jesus performs his first miracle in a home, at a wedding, and at a feast. And so a couple of things here. All those things seem personal to me. You know, it's, uh, it's in a home. You know, this wasn't in a synagogue. This wasn't, you know, out in the middle of everything, but it was in a home. And I, I love the fact that our homes can be sacred places. We have life groups that meet in homes where people gather around the Word of God and the teaching of God's Word, and they share life together. And if you're not in a life group, man, I'm telling you, you're missing out on some of the sacred things that God wants to do in our church and through our church. But Jesus performs His miracle in a home, and it's at a wedding. And a wedding is a big deal. A wedding is, you know, it's one of those things that it can be beautiful. It's a ceremony. But I tell people all the time, and even the couple that you know did the wedding yesterday, the ceremony is what we often put so much time into is that ceremony when really it's the covenant we ought to be investing in. It's the covenant between you and your spouse and you and God. And so whenever we focus our, you know, hey, that this is what it's really about. The ceremonies can be beautiful. The songs can be beautiful. The flowers can be beautiful. The bride can be beautiful. All those things can be cool. The dress and all that. But, man, it is the covenant that you establish. It's the promises and the vows that you make between God and yourself and, and your spouse. And so whenever we focus on those things, man, it makes it, it makes that the foundation. Building on the Word of God, the truth of God's Word. And so it was at a wedding and it was at a feast. And so here's the thing you need to understand about maybe weddings in the day here whenever this one is taking place. It was a multi-day event. You know, now a wedding lasts maybe 20, 20 30 minutes, right? You know, depending on how, how long the songs are and all the elements they want to have in it. But it's usually about 20 minutes. And, you know, and then they go off and they do their honeymoon. They may have a reception afterwards or whatever. But for the most part, it's a one-day or a couple of hours event with a lot of planning going into it. Well, this was a multi-day event. And so they were there. It was a big deal to, to have all the things and have it planned out and thought out really well. It kind of sent a message, if you will. And so Jesus performed all this at, at, at this. And it wasn't at a lecture hall or anything. I mean, it was at a, at a wedding and at a feast. The life of a Christian should be marked with fullness and joy. I love this. And so here they are. They're having this feast. They're having this celebration. And Jesus is in the middle of it. And so this past week, so I watched, and I've told you guys, you know, about the chosen and so I went back and I watched the, the one where it's got the, the wedding taking place. 
And, uh, and so Jesus is there and he's, you know, he's got, you know, arms locked and they're dancing around the tables. I'm like, man, Jesus is getting his groove on. You know, I mean, they're going around the table and getting after it and they're celebrating and they're having a good time. And I love how the chosen, again, portrays the humanity of Jesus, that he is one of us, but he, he was without sin. But he understands everything that we go through. And, and man, he, he knew how to celebrate. He knew how to have, have, a, have, a good, have a good time. You know, and oftentimes as Christians, it's like we don't know how to have a good time. You know, we look like we're weaned on pickle juice, you know. I mean, we look like we're sourpusses walking around and our countenance is bad. And I'll be honest with you, this morning in both services that I prayed, over the service, I prayed, God, change the countenance of your people, our faces. Let our faces know that we've been saved. You know what I'm saying? Let our faces know that we have joy. Let our faces know. Because oftentimes we walk around and we look like we're mad at the world. And so praying for God to just give us a countenance of joy. That's what Scripture teaches, right? And so my prayer was, God, you know, let our people, when we walk out of here, man, we're excited about being able to gather to corporately worship. We're excited about the teaching of your word. We're excited about the miracles that you perform, that souls are saved, that we walk out of here and go, man, two people put their faith in Christ for salvation today. And man, they're part of the kingdom of God. I mean, that's good stuff. We ought to walk out of here celebrating that all week long, not for just a couple of hours. And so the life of a Christian should be marked with fullness and joy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And man, we need to celebrate that life and we need to be filled with joy and focus on what God is doing. Too often we focus on everything else that is negative rather than the blessings and what God is doing in our life and what he's doing in our family, what he's doing in our, even in our nation. Jesus always transforms that which he is invited into. So if you invite him into your wedding or, or into your marriage, I'm telling you, he's going to change it. He's going to transform it. If you invite him into your home, he's going to change it. He's going to transform it. Because whenever he comes in, man, he brings an authority and he brings things in and he begins to address things with us. And, and so oftentimes he illuminates the areas of our life that do not honor him or glorify him. And we, we come under conviction and we go, you know what, God, forgive me. Father, I, you know, I'm, I'm broken, I'm undone, and, and Lord, I see this as sin, and I realize that now. And so when we invite Christ into our life, a lot of times, here's the thing, we don't want to invite him because we're afraid he might what? He might change things, right? We don't invite him into our marriage because we're, we want our wife to be wrong or our husband to be wrong and not us. And whenever he comes in, he goes, hey, listen, you're the one with the real issue. So we don't really want to invite him in. But I'm just telling you, man, when you invite him in, he begins to change you and transform you from the inside out. We invite him into our homes. We invite him into our lives. We invite him into our businesses. Now, some of you guys are like, man, you haven't gone to meddling them, Mike. But I, was, I met with a guy the other day. He had invited me to a, a meal or dinner deal. And he, he was telling me about how God has blessed his, his business. And he said, man, I meet with other business guys. And I tell them all the time, man, you need to invite Jesus into your business. And you need to tithe off your business. And I was like, sounds cool. And he said, he goes, it will blow their mind how the money just tends to show up because God is going to bless me being faithful to use my business to bless missions and to bless ministries and to take care of orphanages. He said, God just gives more and more money. And you just go, you know what? All right, God, I'm being faithful with it. I guess you trust me with more. And I thought, man, what a great mentality. But what he did, he said, man, I've invited Jesus into my business and I'm not going to separate him out. And he's only part of Sunday, but not my business. And so he's blessing his business so that he can be a blessing to more and more. I love that whenever we have that missions mentality. Speaking of, we've got a, a group of young people over here that are from Bethlehem Baptist Church that are passing through, that have been on mission this week, helping out in Montgomery. And so if y'all would give it up, give a hand to these guys being on mission and being here today. So thank y'all for, for serving and being the hands of Jesus 
to our community. I love that, man. I love, and these are young people, man, that I'm telling you, been out there pulling carpet out of places and working on houses that need to be redone. They haven't, they haven't been just sitting around. They've been working. And so that's awesome. I love that. Here's another thing. Proximity to Jesus leads to an opportunity to experience the ordinary, extraordinary. So when we're, whenever we're close to Christ, it's an opportunity to experience something extraordinary. Can you imagine like the disciples? I mean, I, I can only imagine they constantly wanted to be close to him because, man, whenever Jesus was doing things, it was miraculous. I mean, he changes the water to wine. He feeds 5,000. I mean, he, he walks on water. There's all these things. He heals the blind. He heals the lame. Man, you stick, see him stick his fingers in people's ears and they can hear. And you go, dude, I just want to be close to him. I want to be around him. I mean, because this is what's happening. And I can't imagine what the, the disciples were experiencing from day to day. Now, there was times they lost faith, it seemed like. And Jesus would say, oh, ye of little faith. But, man, they were seeing things happen that couldn't be explained except by God being here. So proximity to Jesus leads to an opportunity to experience the extraordinary. And so too often what we do is we want to keep Jesus at a distance. And what we ought to do is say, Jesus, I want you to come in to my life. I want you to invade my family. I want you to invade my marriage. I want you to invade my heart. And I want you to take over and I surrender everything. I give you all. I give you everything I've got. I give it to you. And so the closer we are to him, the more it changes. So the wine supply ran out during the festivity. So Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Now, this was a big deal. This was kind of a black eye uh, that, you know, they didn't plan well. They didn't have enough. And you might think, well, maybe there's just a bunch of gluttons there that were drinking everything. I don't know. But it was a black eye to run out. And so Jesus asked Jesus to step in. Or Jesus' mom asked him to step in. says, dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants to do whatever he tells you. Number one, I never told my, called my mom a woman. Uh, I'd have been slapped into the next room. But that's Jesus. He can get away with it, you know. And uh, she'd probably said, all right, come here, boy. You know, and so I don't know about you guys, but when I heard that, I'm like, daggum. But he's also established, you know what, I am a adult now. I'm stepping out of my role into a different role. And so, but he replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. So this is what I really like about that passage. You know, he responds to her, but she leaves it in Jesus' court. She leaves it in his hands. So what does she say? She says, do whatever he tells you. She doesn't say, hey, this is what you need to do. She just said, hey, listen, give it to him. Whatever he says is what we need to do. And I would just say that to us. There are things that you're battling, things that you're struggling with, things that you're holding on to, that we may just need to say, you know what, Jesus, I give it to you. I surrender this. That's why there's something about coming to an altar. There's something about getting on your knees. There's something about laying something down, you know, and marking that moment and saying, you know what, I surrender this. I'm leaving this behind. I'm confessing this. I'm I'm repenting of this. I'm turning from this. And and so what, what his mom is saying, hey, listen, leave it in his hands. And whatever he tells you to do, you got to trust him. And we've got to be willing to trust Jesus. And oftentimes we, you know, we... We will trust him for salvation. We trust him that he can save us, but we don't trust him to to guide us. We don't trust him to provide for us. We don't trust him to to use us. And we don't trust him to change things. We don't trust him to heal things. But we got to be willing to trust him for everything. And so she says, hey, man, do whatever he says. Jesus transitions from a private family member to a public Messiah. So in this this transition here, you know, he's been kind of keeping things under wraps. You know, his mom knows who he is. I mean, you can go back and read the beginning of Luke and, man, you see, she said, Lord, you know, be it unto me as you wish. In other words, God, it is your plans. It is your son. So she knows who Jesus is, right? 
But he's going public here, and, and, and he's going public with this declaration by doing this. And so he's going public. He's coming out as the Messiah, the promised one. These are signs, and John would often refer to it as signs because the people were looking for signs of the Messiah. And this began. His public ministry began, you know, uh, even with the baptism. We talk about baptism being the public declaration or, if you will, a public proclamation of our faith in Christ. Like earlier, we had, you know, Michael and Chance up here with their little baby girl. And what they were doing to you guys, they were declaring to you guys, man, we're believers and we believe that, you know, we have a responsibility to dedicate our child to the Lord. We are giving her to, to, the, to the Father and we're asking God to work in us so that one day she will put her faith in Jesus. And so what they did is they established accountability, right? They established accountability with the church. And so when we go through the waters of baptism, what we do is we're establishing accountability. And whenever we go through the waters of baptism, we come back up. They say, man, hey, man, I've been buried with Christ, raised to walk in the newness of life. So you're telling the whole church and everybody that sees it, man, I'm a believer. I put my faith in Christ. I'm dying to the old way of living and I'm choosing to follow Christ. And so it establishes accountability. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's times whenever I've seen people go through the waters of baptism that I want to see, is it real? Anybody else there? You're going, I wonder if this is real. Because I've seen some people that would get baptized again and again and again. I'm like, man, Jesus died on the cross one time. You know, and whenever you give your life to Christ, man, you're saved. If you if you surrendered your life, man, he steps in. He seals you with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And so where are you? And so what people are doing, just like me, they're looking to see if the fruits are there. If the fruit of the Spirit is there. We're not the judge. We're not the righteous judge. There's only one judge. And, and God knows whether you're saved or not. But here's the thing. The people around you do look to see, is the fruit there? Do they really believe? Do they really trust? Do they really follow? Do they really surrender? Do they really glorify you with their life and with their actions and with their words? And so Jesus is transitioning from a private family member to a public Messiah. He's going public. And just like when Jesus was baptized, he went public. And the Father said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And man, he put his stamp of approval on Jesus. And it was like, you know what? Now he's going public. His public ministry began. So we've got to be one to say, you know what? I want to go public with my faith. Jesus had a schedule that was given to him by his father. Now, you, when you read this passage, you might go, all right, he said, woman, why is that my problem? And, and it's almost like, was he being disrespectful to his mother? He wasn't. But what he was saying, hey, listen, my father has given me a schedule. And so we can go back to Jesus in the garden. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Over and over, he said, my time has not yet come because he wanted to be obedient to the Father no matter what the Father had in mind. He knew that the going to the cross was going to be painful. He knew the beatings and the scourgings. Think about it. He created us. Remember, we got through reading that he was there in the beginning. He created all things. And so Jesus knew what it would feel like to have his, his back turned to hamburger. He knew what it would feel like to have nails and spikes driven into his feet and his hands. He knew what it would feel like you know, to have all that happen to him and to be hung on that cross and dropped into that hole. He knew what that would feel like. But he's going, hey, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, I want to line up with you. I want to be on your schedule. It was all about being obedient to the Father. So Jesus wanted to stay in line with the Father. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold... 20 to 30 gallons. And so Jesus told the servants to fill the jars with water. The water pots were not intended for drinking, but for bathing. You know, Jesus could have said, hey, grab the, the wine bottles or what you had wine. But he said, hey, listen, I want you to get these big cisterns, if you will. These cisterns that were there, they were huge, 20 to 30 gallons. And 
He said, we're going to use those. And there was a reason behind this. And oftentimes we don't always know why, what God is up to. And we don't always see things as God sees things. But what Jesus was doing was he was establishing something. And kind of like with the wedding yesterday, you know, um, the young couple exchanged rings. You know, they, they took these rings and, and they put them on each other's fingers. And those are symbols, right? These are symbols. I, I can take that ring off and, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm not married anymore. But the thing is, is I established a covenant. So I'm married because of what's in my heart and the covenant I established with my wife and with God. But that ring is a symbol. So it's to remind me every time I look at that ring that I entered into a covenant with God and with my wife, Laurie. So maybe for you, you know, you, you look at certain symbols. Well, Jesus is pointing to these. He's going to use these cisterns, if you will, or these vessels, you know, to kind of drive home a point. And oftentimes we miss it. And I was telling somebody the other day, he was asking me about, you know, reading the Bible and stuff. I said, well, here's the thing. I said, there's a couple of things that you can do. Number one, we read the Bible, which is a good thing. You read the scriptures, you read through it. You know, that's a good thing. And maybe you're in a, you know, read through the Bible in a year. That's a good thing. But there are times that we need a devotion where we just need to kind of focus on one verse or one passage. And we say, hey, you know, God, what is the application of the scripture today? How do I apply this truth in my life? How do I live this out in, in a way that, you know, God, it honors you and it brings glory to your name? And so we, we kind of focus on it. It's kind of devoted to that one little passage there maybe. So we, it's called a devotional. And then there's scripture that we memorize. And so we memorize scripture and we hide it in our heart. And maybe it's out of our devotion. It's a verse that we go, you know what, I need to memorize this scripture. And so we begin to memorize that scripture and we hide it in our heart. We hide it in our mind and we hide it in there so that we won't sin against God. And then there's times that we study the word of God. So there's different levels that we go through with the Word of God. And, and so the more that we draw close to God, the more that we draw close to Scripture, the more that we understand who Jesus is, the more He begins to speak to us through His Word. So maybe you read the Bible, maybe you do a devotion, maybe you memorize Scripture, maybe you study the Bible. And oftentimes studying, man, you're kind of unpacking some things. And so when we look at this passage here, you know, it's talking about these water pots. And uh, they were not intended for drinking, but for bathing. What does that mean? You know, as you kind of dig into some of these things. So here's what it was. This foreshadowed the superiority of Jesus' sacrifice over the Jewish sacrificial system. And so, as I was watching The Chosen this past week and watching the, uh, the part on the, on the wedding there at Cana, Jesus is about to change the water into wine. So Doubting Thomas is there. Thomas is part of it. And Thomas is looking at Jesus and says, hey, listen, fill these jars with water. And he goes, why? Sounds like a kid, doesn't it? But that's Doubting Thomas. He's like, Why? And so he's asking these questions, and, and Jesus in, that, in, in this depiction, he literally says, it's good to ask questions, Thomas. And he's not angry with Thomas for asking questions. I mean, he, he's saying, you know, it's okay to ask questions. And so, he goes, so Jesus asks him a question. He goes, why are, the, why are these vessels, or why are these cisterns, why are they made out of rock? And Thomas kind of looks at it for a second, and he goes, because they're purity? He goes, you're correct. And so what he's pointing to, he said, listen, the rock, Jesus, the rock of our salvation... You know, and what he's pointing to is, hey, listen, the Jewish sacrificial system, like I said, these were for bathing, for washing and trying to get clean, doing everything they could to get clean. And so what Jesus was doing, it was a foreshadowing of him being able to wash us in the blood of the lamb. When we take communion and we, we have that communion cup and we're sitting there and it's got the fruit of the vine in there. It's a symbol like that ring. It's a symbol of the blood that was shed on the cross for your sins and my sins. Right. And so this was a foreshadowing of the fruit of the vine. They would say that, you know what, Jesus would be able to purify us. 
Jesus would be able to heal us. Jesus would be able to save us. Jesus would be able to change us. Jesus would be able to transform us. And so whenever we look at this picture and we realize, you know, he could have gotten a couple of bottles, but he got this huge cisterns. Hey, fill them to the rim. Fill them all the way up to the brim with water. And then he changes them into wine. The best wine. There was enough for everybody. It was plenty, right? And so Jesus says, hey, this is my blood which will be poured out for the sins of the world. At that last supper. And he was establishing that as a symbol to you and I to remind us that he would be able to cover the sins of everyone. I was, as I was thinking on that passage and reading through some of these scriptures, I went back and, and looked up uh, the song. Y'all ever seen or ever heard the old one, uh, Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? Man, you know, when you listen to those, you go, you know what? Have you been washed in the blood? And for those of us that are believers, man, we've been washed in the blood of Christ. We've been redeemed. We've been made whole. We've been white, washed white as snow. So he was, it, was, it was a foreshadowing of that. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And we've got to go, you know what? Man, I've been washed in the blood. And so I, I need to walk differently. I need to talk differently. I need to act differently. Because I believe that when Jesus, whenever he cleanses you, not only does he cleanse your heart, he cleanses your mouth and he cleanses your mind. He cleanses everything whenever we allow him to work in us, right? So when we've been washed in the blood, there should be change. There should be a transformation that takes place. And the more that we allow him to work in us and the more that we draw close to him, the more that we realize, you know what? The closer I get to Christ, the more that he begins to reveal the things in me that I need to die to. Look at what it says here in James. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Too often, our focus is on the things of this world. And what Scripture is saying, hey, listen, man, don't get so caught up in this world that you miss the most important thing. But your heart, your focus needs to be on Christ, on Jesus. And, and so come close to God. So as we draw close to Him, He draws close to us. Proximity to Jesus leads to receiving instruction from Him. And so being close to him, he'll often tell you, hey, listen, I want you to let that go. Hey, I want you to I want you to forgive that person. Hey, I want you to call them and tell them, you know, that you want to take them to lunch today and you just want to encourage them. You know, maybe you're at a, a, a restaurant and, and God says, hey, listen, I want you to bless this waiter, or this waitress with a substantial gift, maybe a substantial uh, tip. And I don't know about you guys, but there's been times I felt God tell me to do that. And have you ever negotiated with God? Like, you know, well, I don't know if I got that much on me, God. And, you know, or whatever. And so we begin to negotiate with God and we miss the blessing of just trusting him. And so maybe God says, hey, listen, I want you to bless this, this person today. She's having a bad day. And it may be the worst service you've ever had. You ever had bad service? I used to jokingly tell Laura, say, you know what? Their tip's going down. You know, whenever it's bad service, I'm thinking, but you know what? I don't know what that person has gone through that day. Maybe they've had a rough day. Maybe they need a blessing. Maybe they need an encouragement. Maybe they need somebody just to bless them above and beyond what they deserve. Because it's a picture of the gospel, right? And so whenever we get in close proximity to Jesus, he gives us, he gives us instruction. And so here these, these servants are, and Jesus is giving them instruction. The disciples would be around him. He would give them instruction. And, and so it's important for us to be willing to listen for the, for the voice of God. And what is Jesus telling me to do? People in proximity to Jesus who receive instruction and then obey him experience the extraordinary. So it says the servants did as he said, right? They filled the jars, and dude, they got to experience a miracle, one of the first miracles recorded in Scripture by Jesus. You know, and, and so they get to be a part of that. And so when we hear, if we're close to Jesus and we hear good instruction and we're obedient, we trust Him, we, we take that step of faith, and we say, you know what? God, it doesn't make sense, but I believe you. God, it doesn't make, step, it doesn't make sense, but I'm trusting you. 
And so Thomas is going, why are we filling up all these big old vats with water? Why are these big old cisterns with water? And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, just trust me. Just trust me. And so God may be telling you to do something. And you're going, God, it doesn't make sense. But he's saying, just trust me. Just trust me. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. They were obedient, right? So they got to see, they had to be a part of that. And think about it, they, you know, imagine being able to tell one day, you know what? Hey, listen, telling your kids, your grandkids, you're impressing on them the things of God. You get to say, hey, listen, I was one of the servants that was dipping out the water, that was filling up the cisterns that Jesus turned into wine. I mean, how cool would that be? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you get to go, I was a part of something that God did that he wrote about in the scriptures. You know, and I was a servant to the Most High. I was just a, I was just a vessel to be used by him. I mean, how cool is that? When the jar has been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And look, look at this. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. This is a big deal. He's like, hey, man, hey, come over here. Hey, everybody, kind of hold up a second. Come over here. I want to I want to I want to speak something to you. I want to say something to you. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. You kept the best until right now. And he's like, man, nobody does that. And so the master of ceremonies is making a big deal out of this. He's pulling the guy aside and he's saying, listen, we know the oldest trick in the book. You give the good stuff up front. You let them get a little bit inebriated. You let them get a little bit heavy in, into the wine. And then you bring out the, the cheap stuff. Man, everybody knows that. That's what you do. He said, but you save the best for now. And I love this right here. You know, Jesus takes the ordinary, man, and makes it extraordinary. And so I think about how he takes our ordinary lives and he does extraordinary things in our lives. He takes ordinary people and he does extraordinary things through them. He takes ordinary kids and he does extraordinary missions through them. How cool is that? But it's God saying, hey, listen, if you'll just trust me, I'll take your ordinary life and I'll do extraordinary things in your life. And I know there's some of you in this room, you go, Mike, you don't know how ordinary I am. I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything that God could use. And I'm telling you, I believe that God gets more glory whenever he takes someone who feels like they have nothing to offer. And he does the extraordinary through that person. I feel like that when we go, you know, God, I don't have anything. All I have is this. And we give him our life. And he says, you know what? I can do great things with that. If you'll just give me your life, I'll do great things in you and through you. And you'll see me do great things that you've never seen before. I remember at the age of 19, God dealing with me about salvation. I gave my life to Christ. And immediately, not too long after that, God began to deal with me about ministry. And me praying about whether or not God was calling me into the ministry. And I kept going, man, I don't have anything to offer. And I kept telling God what I wasn't going to do. I'm not going to get up in front of people and all this kind of stuff. And, and I remember just finally one night I just said, God, I give you my life. And I feel like that's me. Just an ordinary kid that was shy. Man, it was scared to, you know, get up in front of people, had all these fears and all this stuff that God said, hey, listen, I'll do extraordinary things in you. I'll overcome your fears. I'll take those away. I'll heal those wounds that you have. I'll use you if you'll just make yourself available. And I'm just telling you, man, God wants the ordinary so that he can make the extraordinary. So if you're sitting here and you're disqualifying yourself, you're listening to the wrong one. You're listening to the enemy. The enemy said, man, he can't use you. He doesn't want you. If everybody in this room knew what you had done, man, you, you would be toast. They wouldn't even want you in the room. 
But what God is saying, hey, listen, I'll take your story and I'll use your story to bless others. I'll use your story to change lives. I'll use you as a vessel, as a cistern of blessings. And so we just got to be willing to say, God, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with everything. This miracle is an example of a good Messiah working a miracle to show just how good he really is. I mean, Jesus used it as an example just to show his goodness, his blessings, his mercy. He gave way more than they were expecting. And it was plenty. There was so much, so much wine there that was just in I mean, 20 and 30 gallon cisterns. So there was plenty for the festivities and plenty for it. And like I said, it was the best. I know some people would say, well, you know, Mike, that probably wasn't fermented wine. No, no, it was the best wine that you'll ever put in your mouth is what the master of ceremony said, right? And some people try to, you know, well, you know, I don't know if that was really wine. No, that was really wine. It was the best wine you could ever have. So it was. And so Jesus takes what is ordinary and makes it the best it can be. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Now, I love that passage. And I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I have a pretty good imagination. And so he can do more than I can even imagine or think. And, you know, and I, I can imagine big things. I can imagine thousands and thousands of people coming to know Christ. And so God can do greater things and, and more powerful things than I could ever imagine. And so too often we don't think big enough for God, right? We kind of put him in a little box and we kind of limit him to what he can do on Sunday morning and during a service or, or what, you know, what we've been taught that he can do instead of looking into the, into the word of God and saying, God, I believe that your word says that you can do great and mighty things through anybody that will surrender themselves to you. What's greater than leading someone to Christ? You might say, well, I've got all these you know, aspirations of being this or this. What's, what's, what's greater than leading someone from death unto life? What's greater than leading someone from, from brokenness to healing? What's greater than that? There's nothing greater than that. And so whatever you might be called to do, maybe it's to be a teacher, maybe it's to be a lawyer, maybe whatever it might be, you go and you use those gifts to share the gospel, to offer the message of hope to the world. And so no matter what your job might be, you go, you know what, man, I have a calling on my life. God's called me to go out and be a witness for him, to be a light in this dark world. Look what it says in Ephesians. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Then we go, you know what, it's for him. It's for his glory. It's not for me. There's nothing that I bring to the table. Like When I was young, I was so shy that if anybody spoke to me, I would hide behind my mom's leg. Anybody else do that? I mean, I, people would always talk about how shy I was. And God has to overcome some things in our life. But what we do is we say, you know what, God, it's for your glory. It's not for me. It's for your glory. It's for my good and his glory, right? And so whenever we submit and surrender our lives to him, he does incredible things. He can and wants to do extraordinary things in our lives. Don't miss that. He can. There may be things that you're, you're going, I'm not sure God can do this. I promise you, he can. You know, and, and I'm telling you, he wants to do the extraordinary in your life. He wants to bless you above and beyond what you could even imagine. But, man, it goes back to our faith. Do we believe? Do we believe that God can do these things? Let's look back. This is a picture of grace that we see in this, with this couple here at this wedding. The couple had made a mistake that was embarrassing, it was defining, and it was unchangeable. It was embarrassing. They had not planned well. They didn't have enough. They had really kind of messed up. And, and so Mary, the mother of, of Jesus, comes to him really trying to get him to, hey, do something because this is an embarrassment. This is, you know, they're, 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 they can't fix it. And so it was defining. It would have marked them. It would have been, hey, you know, that's, that's a loser or whatever, you know, that whole mentality. And oftentimes we get marked by things and we think, you know what, that's what I'll be for the rest of my life. And it was unchangeable. They couldn't fix it. They didn't have what it took. They didn't have the ability to fix it, but Jesus did. And there's things in your life that you go, man, I don't have the ability to fix this. I don't have the ability to heal this, but Jesus does. And so this is what I love. 
Jesus miraculously covered them. Miraculously covered them. And so maybe for you, there's something in your life that Jesus needs to miraculously cover. You're going, man, I can't do it. I don't have enough. I don't, I don't have what it takes. Jesus, I'm coming to you. I need you to move in my life. I need you to show me how to be a better husband. I need you to show me how to be a better wife. I need you to show me how to be a better mom or a better dad. How to be a better friend, a better aunt or an uncle. How to be a better witness in my workplace. How to live out my faith. How to be missions-minded, missions-focused. And so I love this. Jesus miraculously covered them. And I've always said this. When we, we come before God and we confess our sins, we confess our shortcomings, we confess them, we say, God, you know, I've blown it in this area of my life. And I want to confess that to you. Confession is agreeing with God that it is sin and it is wrong and that we've, we've committed that. When we confess that, it says that He covers that with His grace and with His mercy. We repent of that and we turn away from that. He embraces us. And like the song said earlier, it's like going from death into life. And so if we'll confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. And He covers us with His grace and with His mercy. But if we continue to try to hide our sin, we just think, well, nobody will ever find out. It says He'll bring it out into the open for everyone to see. But if we confess it, He will cover it. He'll redeem us. He'll save us. He'll change us. They didn't earn or repay Jesus. They didn't earn it in any way. They were not able to repay Him. And it's the same way with our salvation. You know, I can't earn salvation. You can't earn salvation. When we try to do things to earn salvation, we cheapen the cross. We cheapen what Jesus did. But when we put our faith in Christ and we say, Jesus, this is what you've done. And I want to put my faith in what you've done, Jesus. So they didn't earn it or repay it. And here's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace is unmerited, undeserved. It's favored by God. But it's through faith. Our faith in what Christ did. And this is not... This gift is uh, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You can't boast about it. But if we're going to boast in anything, we boast in the cross of Jesus, right? We boast in the cross of Christ, that He died on the cross for my sins and for, and for my, my transgressions. We boast in the empty tomb, right? We boast that there is an empty tomb, that death has been defeated. The grave has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. And so we boast in that. We celebrate that. And we boast in that. We don't boast in our, our failures. We don't boast in anything that we bring to the table. We boast in what Christ has done. And our lives should live it out in such a way that, you know what, we're constantly pointing to the Messiah, to the promised one, to Jesus. And we're making much of Jesus with our life. And the countenance of joy should be on our face. No matter what we're going through, we're focused on the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I don't know about you this morning, but man, maybe, maybe today you just need to invite Jesus into your life. You need to invite Him into your marriage. You need to invite Him into your home. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm inviting you to invite Jesus in to your life. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. You've thought about it, you've prayed about it, but you keep trying to earn your way to salvation. You earn your, 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 your salvation from Christ rather than receiving the gift. And so maybe today, for the first time, you kind of get your mind around. You go, you know what? I need to just trust Him. I need to surrender. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that just right now, right where you're at. If you're watching online, you can get down by your coffee table or you can sit right there where you're at. Just say, Jesus, I want to ask you to come into my life. 
I confess to you that I'm a sinner. And so, Jesus, I'm inviting you to come in, to take over, to be the leader, the Lord of my life. I confess that I'm a sinner. I want to quit living the way I've been living. That's repentance, and I want to turn to you. And so, Jesus, I surrender everything to you. Will you come in? Will you, will you live within me? And will you change me? I invite you in to my life. If you're here in the room and you just prayed that prayer, if you would just raise your hand. Anybody in the room, just raise your hand. Raise it high so I can see it. I just want to pray for you, man. I just want to celebrate with you. Raise it right here. I see your hand. I see your hands right here. Anybody else? Just raise it right here. I see your hand. Man, praise God. That's awesome. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Anybody else? Just, man, just me. Mike, I just prayed to receive Christ. That's awesome. Maybe you're online. If you did that online, man, if you would, just, man, text us and let us know. We want to celebrate with you. How awesome that people are putting their faith in Christ today. That they've gone from death unto life. Yeah, I believe there's some people in this room that, man, you just need to invite Jesus into your marriage or your family, your home, your business. Pray, Saint Six, and lead us in a time of response. You've got an opportunity to come down and just lay things on the altar. Prayer team will be here to pray with you. But if you raised your hand, I want you to fill out a card. Let us know. Come down and tell the prayer team that you prayed to receive Christ today. We want to know that. Tell somebody what Jesus has done in your life. If you would, I want to ask everybody to stand. And you just respond as the Holy Spirit leads you. But the altar is open. Come and just pray. Come and just lay something down. Come and let it go. Give it to Jesus.